Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to Enterprising Families podcast and on this episode of Enterprising Families I've got Professor Almarie Venter from the Nelson Mandela University Family Business Unit in South Africa. Welcome Professor Almarie. Thank you very much City for inviting me. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here because today we're going to be tackling the topic of social socio-emotional wealth in family businesses and I know that you have a vast experience in family business being a professor in 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 the space as well as working with so many families and having a background can you share a little bit about who you are and what you do thank you very much um yes um that's always the first question that people ask me you know what makes you qualified to talk on succession or family businesses and I'm in the very privileged position that um I finished my doctorate on succession um, in South African family businesses in 2003. And uh, then I had the opportunity to uh, um, do um, workshops with uh, one of the large insurance companies um, in South Africa. And we actually presented workshops around the country, first in the cities and then in the smaller towns on um, things like governance, succession, the role of women in family businesses, et cetera. Um, and out of these presentations, um, I was actually asked by families to help them through the succession planning process. And uh, I always tell the story that I was very arrogant when I started consulting in 2005. I thought, oh no, I did a doctorate. I was the second one in uh, globally that have done it on a, on a large empirical sample in succession, uh, building on the work of Pramadita Sharma. And um, I'm telling you, um, Titi, it was terrible. Um, the families kept on asking me these difficult questions. And uh, every tea time I was, uh, I went to the ladies' room and I phoned my mentor and I said, listen, they're asking me X, Y, and Z. What must I tell them? So uh, over the years, I've realized that, you know, it's not that easy. And um, that um, succession, although there are many um, things we uh, uh, families experience um, in the same way, because there's subsystems like the ownership, um, the management and the families are different for every family, we see that that also plays out in the succession process. So uh, the, the, my other hat that I have on is um, that um, of um, working at the university. And about 10 years back, we have established the Nelson Mandela Family Business Unit. And the main aim of this unit was to give training to service providers that um, consult to family businesses in training them because you know everybody started embarking on the whole issue of family businesses but we sometimes find that they do more harm than good, you know? So uh, we present uh, short learning programs for three, four days where we teach them uh, what is succession, what is governance, uh, who are the role players in these businesses, you know, and how do you approach a consultation with these businesses? 
And then um, the other component is the research component. Uh, we work with um, family business units and universities all over the globe. And we are also part of the Successful Transgenerational Entrepreneurship Practices Project. In short, it stands for STEP. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of STEP is to make sure that uh, we look at families who got it right. So uh, families that have increased their transgenerational potential, mm. how do they do that in terms of their family resource pools, as well as having an entrepreneurial orientation? Uh, it's now a long introduction, but um, Titi, that's a question I get often is, um, Elmeri, why should we look at family businesses and what can we learn from them mm -hmm. that we don't know from non-family businesses? So uh, I think it's very important to have that background and ask that question, you know, why are the two of us talking about family businesses? You know, why can't we just learn from behavioral scientists, et cetera? Um, so that's a good question to ask. Uh, and I think that's part of our discussion today is why should we differentiate between family and non-family businesses, especially when it comes to succession? Yes, most definitely. I found myself down the rabbit hole that is family businesses. And as you know, I completely love family businesses and working with them and understanding the different ways that they work. And your experience is vast. And I think just the fact that when you, when you, when you came from um, doing your doctorate and then had to go in and work with family businesses, you felt the crunch of it and you felt you fell in love again with the whole subject of family business yeah. and why you do the yeah. work. So today we want to talk um, about succession, obviously, and um, the issues that impact succession. But let's start with looking at the social, emotional what social emotional wealth? Firstly, what is it? Yeah, um, Titi, that's a that's a long word, and uh, I've uh, just helped Alan Barr with a barometer, and he keeps on saying it's socioeconomic wealth, but it's not socioeconomic wealth; it's socio emotional wealth. Okay. And um, what it means is, I've just asked the question: um, Why should we look at family businesses and trying to? Uh, you know, develop a theory that explains um, why families operate in the way that they do. Mm -hmm. Because over the years, you know, the field is my only about, about 30 years old. And I think management sciences is about 80 years old. So um, the, the first theory that developed now, um, I call it a theory because there's a lot of work that's being done on that the last 10 years. And it's almost the first one that's unique to the field because we have been borrowing from behavioral sciences and from, uh, you know, economic sciences and other theories. And this, this theory actually says, in a nutshell and in layman's terms, that um, families in their nature um, are likely to pursue non-economic goals as much or even more than economic goals. And because they are prone to do that, um, that will influence the strategic decision-making, um, especially with regard to the preservation or enhancement of um, existing endowments. Mm -hmm. So social-emotional wealth um, is the first theory that, that differentiate families from non-family businesses. Um, and it also is important for families to increase their social-emotional wealth. 
because we see more and more studies all over the globe that that will also increase their performance. Now that sounds a bit um, economic uh, uh, and also a bit academic, mm -hmm. um, but let me just quickly um, try in layman's terms to just elaborate on this. So over the years, people have identified five dimensions of socio-emotional wealth, other researchers. Mm -hmm. Now, Titi, I'm going to give you a name that you probably already know, but it's easy then for your listeners to remember. The short for that is the fiber scale. Um, and that's the, that's the capital, the first letter of the five dimensions. So the first one is uh, families always almost strive for family control and influence. So that's the F. Mm -hmm. Then the R stands for identification of the family with um, family members with the firm mm -hmm. the b stands for binding social ties now in layman's terms that means that families are not only concerned about family relationships but they also build strong relationships with non-family business or non-family employees their customers the um, suppliers etc Mm -hmm. That can sometimes be positive, sometimes it can have a negative effect because they would rather hang on to these relationships. Then the E stands for emotional attachment of family members. You know, I think, um, I think we're all aware of the fact if you come from a family uh, and not even a family business, there's always emotions involved. But in a family business, those emotions are even more complex because you add the dimension of ownership and of uh, a business. Hmm. And then the R stands for renewal of family bonds through dynastic um, succession. And that is where our talk mainly focused this morning, meaning that families will, um, it's in their nature to strive uh, to hand over the business to other generations. So. They strive for leaving a legacy uh, and they don't only want to transfer the business, but they actually want to transfer the name as well. Because that's why you see many family businesses, the name of the business mm -hmm. is attached to the surname of the family. So, yes, so just to summarize these five dimensions, in short, it stands for fiber and uh, that is actually exercising a huge control over the strategic decision-making of the business. And the fifth one, the R, is, is the whole issue of succession and transferring the business from one generation to the next. Wow. It's, it seems a bit easier to understand when you've broken it down so much, and, and, and that helps a lot. So looking at social, socio-emotional wealth, um, we're always hearing the importance of considering it in family businesses. And you've explained some of the reasons why it's, it's considered in family business. Why do you think it's such a hot topic globally in, fam in, in the global family business space? And why is research on these businesses important when you and looking at SEW, social economic wealth, in this research? That's a very good question. And um, I want to come back to the question that I've asked in the beginning again. Mm -hmm. And that is what differentiate family businesses from non-family businesses? 
-hmm. Now, if I can just quickly touch on, I don't want to go into detail, but um, the first one, family influence and control, you know, most families desire both. Mm. And, um, you know, that's why we often see that families don't want to hire from outside because the moment that they hire, you know, non-family members, they lose a little bit of their control according to them, especially if you're in the first and the second generation. Mm -hmm. And that's also a way for them to financially keep control of the business. And that's why we see many family businesses, executive positions are occupied by family members. And uh, most of the directors are also, um, you know, uh, occupied by family members. Mm -hmm. And we see that um, if we come to the softer issues, uh, if we look at, for example, identification of family members with the firm, mm -hmm. you know, um, we, we have seen that now more and more is that families, uh, family businesses is sort of a long term, they take a long term perspective, you know, in a, in a normal non-family business, there's not always that long term perspective. And that's definitely going to influence the way that you make decisions. I remember, Titi, when you and Nikki and I had um, the Family Business Research Conference earlier this year, mm -hmm. uh, Nikkei made a, made a remark that, you know, family businesses in Africa are different because it serves as a social um, safety net mm -hmm. where we don't have that necessarily um, in Europe or in the U.S. Mm. And I think from um, my perspective, and I think you perhaps can also identify with that, you know, for many families uh, or family members, um, the, the family business uh, provides a strong sense of belonging. You know, it's, um, they feel that they're part of something big uh, and it has a lot of personal meaning for them. And um, socio-emotional wealth explains that, you know, so it, it helps us, um, you know, explain why family acts in the way that they are. And, and being a member of a family business often defines who they are, you know, and, and um, so the self-identity is often, um, you know, established in the business itself. Mm -hmm. um, if I look at something like uh, binding social ties, uh, it's a fancy word for just saying that, you know, in many family businesses, your non-family employees are part of the are part of the family. I have a, a doctoral student that works on um, social responsibility practices mm -hmm. and um, social emotional wealth is the theory that she used to explain that. And the reason for that is that families don't like criticism. You know, they like to have a good reputation, strong reputation, and often they provide employment to a lot of people in a particular community. You know, mm -hmm. they often sponsor um, activities and associations and charities and local sports teams. So um, what is interesting is um, social emotional wealth helps us explain why families often have more philanthropic motives mm -hmm. and involved in the local communities than non-family businesses. And it's because they, they value long-term relationships, they value relationships with non-family members because they like to build this legacy uh, trust um, and and their reputation you know as being important to the community and the environment around them
All right. And so looking at succession, obviously it is impacted by social, social emotion, emotional wealth. And um, what do you think is the importance of social emotional wealth in the succession process of family businesses? Another excellent question. So um, if we look at the, the, um, the R element of fiber uh, or social emotional wealth, that's the succession one. Mm -hmm. uh, we often see that the owning family do not see themselves only as, uh, or the business as equity, Mm -hmm. but also as the rebirth and succession of the family itself. So that's, that's a very deep one. Mm -hmm. So a family business is often seen as a long-term investment for the mm -hmm. family mm -hmm. that represents the family's legacy and tradition, as I've just said. Mm -hmm. So um, the family often sees their business as a legacy that symbolizes control, identification, tradition, heritage, and emotion. Mm -hmm. And what we see, Titi, in the research that has been done up to now on socio-emotional wealth is that is one of the strongest elements uh, or the dimensions that come forward is that the successful transfer of the business to the next generation is a very important goal for many family businesses and that they are very unlikely to sell the business, especially if they're in the first, second and third generation. You know, when it becomes a, a, a bigger business, it's an older business, then we see sort of more, um, you know, a, a willingness to hand over to a non-family uh, member as the CEO and bringing in outside directors. But once it's in the first generations, uh, it's not likely to happen. But on the other hand, if you look at very well-established um, businesses, and I don't think we see that many in Africa, but if you go to Europe, you know, there's many businesses in the 10th generation. In Japan, you have one of in the 40th generation. You know, then legacy and tradition becomes even more important again than, you know, when you're in the first, second and third generation. So, um, then family businesses play on this whole issue of legacy and tradition and the fact that it's family values that come over 130 years. So, yeah, so what we see is um, there's all these um, underlying, you know, dimensions that play and influence each other. And uh, the demographics of the business and of the family will have an influence or whether social emotional wealth, you know, is increasing. Uh, or decreasing. So uh, it also depends on, you know, the interaction between them. So if I can just quickly, um, you've asked me now, how is it important for succession? Mm -hmm. um, we had a very interesting discussion, if I might quickly um, um, refer back to that last week mm -hmm. uh, on a webinar for KPMG. And um, what is very interesting is the next generation, if we look at them, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure what the stats are, uh, you know, in Zimbabwe or the rest of Africa, but in South Africa, they predict that uh, Generation Z and the millennials mm -hmm. will be within the next five years, the workforce, the majority of the workforce in South Africa. Mm. Now, uh, if you compare the millennials, you know, and Generation Z, I have uh, a millennial daughter and I have a Generation Z son, and I can clearly see the difference then uh, it, it's very important for us to 
as family businesses to look at, you know, how we transfer and uh, and interact as an older generation with these uh, millennials and Generation Z. Because what is important to them is collaboration and purpose and autonomy and self-direction. Mm. Um, and, you know, you, one needs to understand that. And I think that is part of social emotional wealth is to understand what are the dynamics for the different generations? What are their perspectives? What are the expectations? And then also then plan succession around that. So that's just something I wanted to add that I thought was um, very interesting that came out uh, last week as well. You know, we tend to forget that um, this generation or the upcoming generation is a lot more educated um, but they also, you, as an older generation, we can't lead them or interact with them in the same way that our parents, for example, interacted with us. So I think socio-emotional wealth also emphasized that fact that one needs to be prepared for that. And I think you're very right from what you're saying because I've had numerous discussions with other people with regards to the, the vast differences between the generations and also the differences of what each generation has actually had to cope with. If you see um, uh, your parents' generation would have had to cope with the world wars, the first Definitely, world wars, yeah. second world wars, the time was different then. They didn't have the technology we have now. They had the issues that they faced then, even when building their companies, were extremely different from the issues that are faced by the generation now that's even taking over yeah. uh, some of these companies. And when we're looking also at... Um, this consciousness movement that has been happening globally with a with a cross section of different global impact issues, um, diversity, um, inclusion of next gens, climate change, and also the global supply chain. So many things have been shifting in a very small period of time. So from the time where you've had your generation, and then the two generations that you've, um, you're now custodian to, you find that the impactful issues that they have to deal with are completely different. And so the conversations within themselves are completely different. And you have now- Very true. I'm thinking of my generation and I'm, I'm between, I'm the millennial generation where a lot of the conversations we have a lot more about finding ourselves because we're not having to deal with world wars. We're not having to, to, to deal with um, the issues that impacted the globe at those point in time. Global supply chains, although are there's issues with them, there is a lot more variety and there's a lot more of um, trade developed in such a, a rapid manner. And so yeah, we're no, not- definitely. Yeah. yeah, and I agree with you, Titi, and it seems that- um, you know, if I look at your generation, I'm now a little bit older than you are, unfortunately, but I'm not that old. But, but um, you know, what I see is there's a lot more openness uh, in the younger generation, you know, and sort of, you know, if I think of my parents and if I think of the older generation in the families that I work with, there's more secrecy still and, you know, sort of keeping cards close to your chest. But um, I find, especially in your generation, that there's a lot more openness because there's so much information available. Um, but I find that people share more. And um, I think that is the fantastic thing, you know, that you also, as a family business, 
built up relationships outside of the family business because it's in your nature to nurture um, according to socio-emotional wealth these relationships. So I think that is a very much a positive thing that, you know, I think your generation is less scared to say, I don't know, or to share best practices. And um, I think there's a lot more good quality best practices available uh, and, and, you know, preparation to listen more. So that that is my experience. I don't know if you experience the same, but uh, there's definitely a more openness in your generation than I think in the older generation before um, you. Yes, I think I would agree to that. I think the concept of open source came with that with this generation and we want to collaborate a lot more, share a lot more, see what we can get done together a lot more which has its pros and cons, obviously, but um, it's something that is taking us into a new space, which um, I think with everything, there's that learning that's going to happen because obviously you've got a new generation, the Generation Z, those are my children and uh, their children. And it's going to be interesting how those conversations are going to be um, held together. I mean, just before we we um, started recording, when we were talking about how Corona has changed everything and how it has changed even the way we live and how the world is looking more and more like the movies we used to see of the future. Yeah. The, the question becomes when they are, when we are more isolated, will we, will we be more able to share? Will we want to share? Or will we, we, or will we go back to being individualistic? Because that's one of the things that comes from having to protect yourself yeah. from other human beings, not because it's intentional, but because there's now a, a global pandemic or an illness that is simply uh, passed on by us being in proximity of each other without protecting each other. And that can play out even in the business world, whereas in we were so used to coming together in social um, in social places and not being careful we've gotten the brunt end of that how does that apply also in the business world where we've we we're collaborating a lot more we're working a lot more together is there going to be a similar backlash what will that look like how will we handle it uh yo that is fantastic uh question uh and i don't have the perfect answer for that um, um i think it brings me back to something I often say, because um, while you were talking, it, it immediately makes me think, you know, that there's almost too much information available. And you read, you read these wonderful articles and um, you, you listen to well-known family businesses. And I want to immediately caution that, uh, Titi, like with anything else, I don't think there's one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and even with, like in, in the case of succession, you know, you have so many different models that you can follow. It's not necessarily a linear process. And I assume that I think we will be forgiven, um, you know, to have 80% success uh, the next year or two, rather than getting it 100% correct. Because mm-hmm. I think nobody can predict the perfect model to um you know, handle uh, the new order, I almost want to say that we are into. So, um, you know, I think um, as with the succession, you need to sort of look at other best practices and models 
but then also do what works well for you. You know, um, I think we can listen, we can read a lot, but I think, and that, that's for me where transparency come in, mm -hmm. uh, in, in the family that they, you know, talk about these things that, you know, we also ask each other the question, you know, how can we adopt to this? How can we handle this? And then um, I also want to say that uh, I think an important thing to remember is that, uh, and that's the first thing that I ask my families that I consult with, and it sounds like a very stupid question, but if that is not answered in the correct manner, I think everything else falls apart. And that is, do we want to continue as a family business? Mm -hmm. And do we share the same vision uh, for the future uh, and the same values? Uh, in the same pa passion, you know, so so no matter what we are faced with it within the next five years, mm -hmm. if you have that and if you have brought in some form of governance, and again, you know, you, you look at these businesses that have these fantastic boards and uh, constitutions, etc. And I think that's unrealistic for a smaller family business, you know, mm -hmm. so they would probably have a more informal governance, but they should have governance. So um, the first question I think we should ask ourselves as families, mm -hmm. but also in a family business is that, you know, are we willing to take on this new uh, challenge? Mm -hmm. um, and what is our purpose in this new challenge? And uh, do we share the same vision? And, and I think if that's not clearly defined and decided in the family, you know, I think then you're going to uh, have problems with um, all the elements of socio-emotional wealth. You know, I think then you're going to have problems uh, creating and maintaining the family legacy and having good and positive succession outcomes. So um, that that always brings me back to this point. There's no one size fits all and uh, the shared vision and the passion and the values and you know, what is our purpose? I, I think that is critical, especially in this time where business models are changing and the way that we interact with each other are changing because it's still about trust um, and respect. And um, even if we have to find new ways of building that up, I think it's important. And, and we cannot do that uh, according to social emotional wealth if we do not have a sense of support for the community and stewardship and, uh, you know, mutual respect and, um, you know, um, a sense of humor, I believe as well. So uh, in, in my case, you know, um, I think faith is also very important. We have picked up that, um, you know, having strong spiritual values uh, in times like these, you know, it's different for different people, mm -hmm. but, but that's also something I think that will be very important going forward. I would very much like to hear what is your opinion on this? Um, I think my opinion is um, that when we look at succession going forward, we need to really not look at it as succession per se, but business continuity, because continuity is yeah. the one thing that will keep our businesses alive. It will keep our legacies alive. And I think the one thing most people are afraid, afraid of is the one thing that's inevitable, which is our passing on. And as we pass on, a lot of the things that stay, that remain, that especially in family businesses, that will hold the family business together, like you said, as our values. 
our belief systems, um, understanding our governance, how do we communicate with each other, and making sure that we learn a way of communicating with each other, where we're respectful with each other, and we all work towards the same goal. And I think that gets lost in translation, especially when we get emotional about um, situations, emotional about um, conflicts that may have arisen from lack of communication or lack of understanding each other better. And at the end of the day, I truly believe that when it comes to families and family businesses, when they build these businesses, there is a sense of unity. So working together, incorporating all the family members to understand what it is that you're trying to achieve. If it's just the financial side of things, have people on the same team to understand that this business is to help us financially so that when they have any conflict, they're clear about what is the purpose of the business. And if it's something where you want yeah. to keep the family together and you want to uh, keep a certain skill in the family, it could be we are woodworkers or we're bakers, we have a family recipe that has always been in our family. Be very clear about these goals because at the end of the day, yeah. continuity and being passed on from generation to generation is because the family has stuck together. The family has pioneered and pushed for the same vision, for the same mission and for the same values. And even when there is conflict, conflict can always be brought in perspective when we look at each other and we say, you know what, we're one team. And as in most um, sports games, you're trying to score a goal. And if you're working as a team, there's chances are every team member pulls their weight, you will get to score that goal. But if team members start deflecting and start playing against their own team, we've seen that happen. That is when we don't reach the goal. So it's really, really yeah. important to identify who we are, what we want to do, and communicate that to every family member, no matter how young they are. I agree. Start them young get them to understand yeah. this is the goal this is what we who this is who we are this is what we do and you will get family members who will say this is not for me i don't want to be part of this it doesn't mean they're, they're any less of the family it just no. means that they're not willing to play on the team and you know what they can be on the sidelines cheering the team on you just have to yeah. be able to identify who's playing with the team in the game and who's on the sidelines and all those things come from communication really and at yeah, the end of the day yeah. it's focusing on continuity yeah no i agree with you 100 percent. so um perhaps i can uh, i can end with um uh some one or two practical tips you know knowing um of uh, socio-emotional wealth like we have more and more information about that mm -hmm. is uh, I agree with you that it's about uh, preserving the family um, the business as a family business and uh, again coming back to my question that I've asked when we started our conversation you know what we, what can we learn from family businesses mm -hmm. and what can give them an advantage that uh, non-family businesses don't have and I think the answer as you rightly refer to that as well, um, Titi lies in the family. Mm -hmm. But you can also treat your staff like family, you know, so um, that's where that uh, social emotional bonds come in, you know, that you have to know that it's in the DNA of families to, you know, not only build long term relationship with their family members, 
But, uh, you know, there are staff that you can also treat like family and build sort of that culture inside your business. And then um, something that you refer to that I want to emphasize again, I think during this COVID time, you know, we're so used to the older generation mentoring the younger generation, but I think um, the businesses that got it right during COVID draw on each other's collective experience, you know, mm -hmm. because I think as you rightly said, the younger generation is a lot more savvy in technology and uh, new experiences, but nothing, you know, comes to uh, 40 years of running a business. And so I, I think generations need to practically draw on each other's collective experience. Uh -huh. um, and that's why, as you say, it's communication, communication, communication. Uh, you know, family needs to be well informed with respect to what is going on in the business. So uh -huh. even if you're not um, actively involved, and you're a non-active member and, uh, you know, you are going to share in some dividends or et cetera, then you have to set up, um, you know, something like a family council or a simple family meeting if you're a smaller business. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to end to say that it also comes back for me to uh, communication. But for me, governance is the only way to facilitate communication. So mm -hmm. even if it's simple, even if it's initially informal, but make sure that that communication is facilitated in the business, in the family, and in the ownership subsystem. So uh, it may be, you know, that that in the initially is the same thing, but as the business grow and, um, you know, continue, that may become, you may have different seats, you know, in the subsystem. So from a practical point of view, knowing what we know, uh, be aware of these elements and, um, yeah, and 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 uh, be cognizant because at the end of the day, you want to know how can this give us a competitive advantage, and the answer lie in that family resource pools and being entrepreneurial orientated. So, practically look at that, but listen to others that have got it right and start small, and build it on from there. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Elmarie, for joining me today, and thank you for sharing so much wisdom with us. I'm sure that everybody has learned. And thank you, everybody who is listening to us on Enterprising Families.